0: Welcome to Career Buzz, the unique radio conversation that empowers lives, enriches careers, and energizes organizations. Today on your show, how to navigate your career and a career in navigation. Hi, I'm Mark Franklin, practice leader of a team of professional career counselors at careercycles.com and co-founder of One Life Tools. And I'm pleased to be your host today on Career Buzz. Thanks for tuning in. After being shot at, threatened at gunpoint, and rattled by having to catch drug runners, Robert High decided to change careers. He left the U.S. Coast Guard and began a new career chapter as a private yacht boat captain. Hear Robert High's fascinating career story and take a tour of the 150-foot Cabernet yacht in the second half of today's show. But first, last week on Career Buzz, I interviewed John Hogan, who'd accessed Canadian career counselling from the Middle East, where he'd been living and working. John wanted to make a well-informed and inspiring career choice at this age and stage, so he sought the help of a career professional. That interview led me to think about what the public and listeners like you might not know about accessing career help. We career professionals often fly below the radar screen of most people. Look, if you have a toothache, everyone knows you go to a dentist, but when you have a career ache, well, where do you go? Research says that most Canadians go to friends, family, and co-workers, but really, would you take a toothache to your friend? So I invited one of our favorite Career Cycles team members, Angie Bjornsson, to chat with me about how and why people can benefit from a career professional. Like many career professionals who have a previous work experience, Angie has a human resources background and has been a career professional and senior associate at Career Cycles for over 10 years. Angie, so great to have you here on Career Buzz to join me in this conversation.
1: Thanks, Mark. Looking forward to exploring a little bit about what we've uh, been talking about.
0: What does what a career professional even do from your perspective?
1: That's a great question. And for those who've had the experience of working with a career professional, whether they're a uh, counselor or a coach or within the human resources or learning and development uh, path, they are. An in, they're an individual who are able to help individuals sort out what their potential is, what their interests are, what options there may be in front of them that they may not be aware of, for starters.
0: Nice, yeah. That can be really helpful, in especially in these days with so much disruption. But helping people both um, step back and reflect in an organized way Um, take stock what are my skills what are my interests as you say Um, and and also you know things that you want change and so what is important to you now I think is a key thing because it may be different than from the last time people decided to make a career change and so what's important to you now and how might that influence either changing your role within an existing organization because I think like something like sixty percent of our clients are employed and are looking to either change roles within their organization or move on Um, and maybe forty percent are in transition already looking for their next thing. So what kinds of questions do you hear when clients come Angie and and start the process what kinds of questions do you hear from them?
1: It can be very uh, specific it can be uh, this is what I've been doing I don't want to do that anymore I've been thinking about this, but what else? It can be, I, I really have not been successful in anything I've been doing and sending out resumes and applying <laughs> through interviews. Uh, it's not working, so what else? What am I missing? And it, and it can be It can be all kinds of things. It can be, I really want that, in, that next job. How do I prepare now? with my current employer to land it.
0: Yeah, I hear, I hear some similar questions. Different ages and stages of life seem to lead to different kinds of questions. So I find that if you're a kind of recent graduate, it's sort of what next? You know, what am I going to do after I graduate or I've been working for a while and this isn't quite what I thought, so what's next for me? That's more aligned with what I want now. Um, Mid-career, you know, how can I do better? Like, I'm hearing a lot of that. I've done a lot of different things and I want to do better. I want to make more money. Lots of people, of course, say that, but not just make more money. I want to feel like I've got a better team or I'm working towards something and making a difference in my work. Um, Later career people might ask, hey, is this where I'm going to end my career? Am I going to spend these last five, ten years at this or am I going to do something different? And sometimes, like I'm a bit of a metaphorical person, and sometimes people use a metaphorical way to phrase their question. I remember one client said, um, where should I dig my next well? Where should I dig my next well? You know, well is where you get your water, your sustenance, you know, the things that are important to you that keep you alive. And I guess had dug a well and maybe it ran dry or maybe it was time to dig a new well. So where should I dig my next well? I thought that was a wonderful metaphor for, um, for a, a career change.
1: I like the idea of being on an island. Which other islands do I not know about that I want to explore?
0: Yeah, like a career happiness island, right? It's sort Absolutely. Of, it's just out there. I can see it beyond the horizon. And yeah. and um, which, which one? There's three islands out there. Which one is the best one? Which is a nice little exercise that listeners could even try, right? Like, you know, if you had, let's say, five. I like to ask five. What are five career happiness islands? And I challenge listeners to come up with... Um, five different career ideas usually the first two or three are easy because you've thought about them but it's numbers four and five that are the really interesting ones because you're pushing yourself a bit further to think about other ideas
1: yeah and then uh what populates uh our thoughts then is often uh thinking about who i can talk to to explore that possibility further so great
0: Exactly, like field research, we call that you know where you get a chance yeah. to talk to an insider about about that career, right? The worst place to stay um, when you're trying to imagine another career is in your own imagination, right? And there's lots of research that shows that you're gonna you're gonna focus on things that you think are important, and you're gonna conveniently forget about the other 27 things about that job that you might not have noticed. So the best place to be when thinking about another career idea is is talking to other people in front of other people who are doing that who have made the decision that you're contemplating there's a great podcast uh, by uh, Daniel Gilbert on NPR on Hidden Brain about this very thing that I have students listen to in in the course that I teach and they, they love it he explains why the research why it's so important to talk to insiders about any decision a relationship even like what restaurant should I go to um, let alone what career should I pursue
1: I think you're touching on some important network uh, uh, exploration that needs to happen. So, career, our careers. Thinking about the last three years with uh, our pandemic and all the other disruption that life uh, is throwing at us these days, it's no wonder people are in a bit of a uh, in a bit of confusion. Like, what should I be doing now? What's really important for for this next, uh, part of my journey, this next chapter it, it, will my employer still be around? Like there's all this, there's all this chaos when it comes to, um, you know, the, uh, the vision of, uh, next options for, for our clients.
0: Yeah. I mean, career, career management in 2023, we're recording this now in, in the new year and, and you know you might ask why is career management important this year and as we move more into a skills-based economy where employers are more interested in the skills that you bring than the credentials that you might bring and as we see the tenure in jobs get shorter and shorter I think an average in Canada now it's two two and a half years or two years and change and and like you say over these past three years with the pandemic and the disruption and change um, you know, employers, a lot of things are happening with employers and a lot of things are happening inside individuals as their values shift and change because of what they've experienced in the pandemic. And, and you know, I think career management has never been more important. Um, what do you think about the times that we're in?
1: I see two vantage points. One is people are frozen in place and think this is all that there, there, there is when perhaps they can have a conversation with their employer and get a little bit more comfortable with some of the changes and begin to re-shift a little bit and begin to um, add new skills into their uh, inventory of uh, talent. So, so that's possible. Um, I think there's a lot of scare tactics when people are reminded every day that we're, we've got um, people who are present, you know, presenteeism, but they're not really here. Well, I think that the idea, this is call to action, let's really make sure we're connecting with our employee population, and let's make sure that we ourselves are are engaged in what we do, so.
0: Right, there was that there was that phrase people were using in 2022 anyways <laughs> called quit. quiet quitting, right? Like, yeah, you haven't yeah. quite quit, you're, <laughs> you're quietly just hanging out that presenteeism that you just mentioned, right? So this was a bit of a thing in 2022, and... You know, people I think people's values changed and because of all the time that we spent at home and recognizing the importance of family and personal connections and people are feeling that and and, you know, if they're not and getting what they're wanting from work they're they may be, I don't know, feeling a little bit um, discouraged and looking for something more meaningful or more aligned with their values.
1: Mm -hmm. So staying open I think is really a key piece here.
0: Um, you're listening to Career Buzz here on uh, CIUT 89.5 FM Worldwide at CIUT, CIUT.FM. I'm your host here, Mark Franklin. I'm um, having a conversation here with one of our Career Cycles team uh, members, associates, uh, Angie Bjornson, And uh, we're, we're talking a, a bit about an interview that I, I conducted last week. Uh, some of you may have heard with John Hogan, uh, a, a global... Uh, training and development leader and he was talking about utilizing career services to figure out his what next when he was still in the Middle East and he actually accessed our services um, before arriving back in Canada to make his next career transition and I'm gonna play this very brief um, sort of a short uh, description about why he chose career cycles Angie so that you and I can kind of listen to what John has to say and, and reflect on it a bit together. John Hogan why why did you choose career cycles
2: i i think there's a few things that um really convinced me to to work with um career cycles and i i you know i've worked with a, a few previously but um Without a doubt, Career Cycles has been the best experience. And and for me, there, there are a few reasons for that. First, it was really the storytelling. Um, I found that incredibly rich to be able to reflect on my experience and present that that ability to sort of zoom in and and be able to translate my experience to others uh, in a way that was convincing. It was also the personal support, you know, having having someone to walk alongside with me and give me tough feedback sometimes, but just knowing that I was not alone and that I was throughout this, I was learning was really really important and improving um, from from week to week. And that I think really helped me um, build my Confidence and my abilities, so that I was thinking, you know, not just about getting any job, but you know, what next? What's the best thing for me to do as my next step in terms of my own uh, professional development? Part of that is the basics, getting your LinkedIn and CV worked. But more fundamentally, it's who am I? Uh, what am I showing up with? And where do I want to go? It's career cycles, without a doubt, uh, help me uh, get the answers to those key questions. So that was uh, John Hogan. Um, Angie, you, you actually
0: worked with John uh, a, a little while ago, and, and he was our guest on Career Buzz last week. People can find uh, John's interview if you go to the uh, Career Buzz link at CareerCycles.com, and it was the January 3rd episode of Career Buzz. So, and it's so interesting to hear what, what John had to say. Um, he talks a bit about that narrative or storytelling approach. Do you want to just say a little bit about what that what that actually means?
1: This is a very um, natural uh, way for people to tell you who they are, and it does it, it does allow for uh, an open expression uh, of of where that that individual has uh, has expressed uh, some of the the feelings, the experience, the skills, the the desires of what they want going forward, some of the things that they've already been thinking about. Um, So it starts with that, uh, that way of unpacking one of those experiences and then another and then another. And being then able to relate it into whatever you're looking at uh, as new options, whether that's going back to school and getting a, a another degree, or whether that is uh, aligning to a particular organizational role.
0: Yeah, and and it's so you know it's so interesting to allow clients to just tell their stories. They they seem to find it very engaging. So like you say, Angie, it's a natural experience. They're telling us stories about a past job or a past project or a volunteer gig or even like an educational program that they took and what they liked and what they learned and, and uh, what their interests were and who they met and what they learned from the people that they met. So we guide it along with some prompts or, or leading questions. Um, but I think the key thing you know, that John was mentioning is that we have this kind of reflective practice that allows the story elements to appear in front of clients' eyes in the form of this sketch. And, and so as they're telling their story, you know the career professional can help articulate the skill that was used or articulate the interest. And as you develop more and more of these skills and interests and, and values, this pattern emerges, and the pattern makes it quite easy to generate future possibilities. So,
1: John, John mentions it as being the magic.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that it provides that sense of learning and confidence building. Like, did you notice he said confidence building? And I think that comes from being able to name and claim those skills and aptitudes that come from the story. So it's one thing to tell a story, but it's another thing to have somebody draw this out of you and show you like wow look at all the good stuff that's come out of these stories so that you have a much more comprehensive but holistic picture of the who am i and therefore being able to generate what next possibilities so
1: yes that that, that reflection you mentioned um, mark is really important it's a it's a critical reflection so uh, as a coach uh, or a counselor you have the option to give that client feedback and let it be here that they learn and not in the in the interview right when they're when they have a, a, that that on the line right a job offer could be coming up so it, it would be really important that they're they're aware of how they come um come across in their uh communication um and then the idea of um i was just thinking that the being relevant like so whatever the story is that is coming um is being shared needs to be relevant to the, the role, the competency, whatever it is that's, uh, that's being um, identified as an option for that client.
0: Right on. So, you know, that's kind of different than what others might expect from a career professional or a career counselor. I bet you have a lot of listeners have had that high school careers course experience where you took some test and answered 100 questions and then it it matched you you know it spit out an answer like you know we've heard all of these things like funeral director and potato farmer and vending machine replenisher you know so i mean obviously it's different than that test and tell approach what what's your experience angie like the difference between those traditional assessments and this narrative approach
1: well assessments can be helpful because they can test for skills or they can test for interests uh, they can um, you know give a little bit of uh, more detail around emotional intelligence, things like that. But the idea here is to be able to package it in a way that is your, you, your own story that you can claim your own um, sharing of uh, lived experience that's going to be relatable to what you're targeting.
0: Yeah, and it's an eye opener. I think people, you know, I, I take a lot of those first calls where people ask, what kind of test or assessment do you use? And if I say, well, we use a narrative assessment, and then people are like, what What does that mean? I've not heard of that one before. You know, because they're expecting this thing that they did in high school. And yet, um, you know, there still is kind of a method in our madness, right? Like there is a structure to this narrative approach. And, and the client experience, like somebody like John, um, Angie, so, you know, what, what's that experience like for a client like John, if they're working with, with one of us? What's that experience like?
1: It's a, an open experience where we don't come in with a, a, an assumption about them. Like, they've expressed interest in working on themselves. So we're keeping um, them ac- accountable by having that meeting with them. Um, and they will do, uh, as John mentioned, he, he wanted to learn and he wanted to continue to see and recognize that he actually was improving, right? So sometimes you need to let them know that you're seeing a difference. And sometimes it may be intuitive. They already know that they're progressing. So that feedback, I mean, that feedback, that recognition is important in everyday living, whether you're at work or or. uh going through studies, like it's an important um, uh, uh, element of our, of, our, of our being, human.
0: Right on. My guest today is Angie Bjornson. I'm your host, Mark Franklin, here on Career Buzz. We both do career counseling with uh, career cycles, and we're, we're discussing the, the experience of the client. Last week, people heard John Hogan told his story about uh, his career transition and his travels and, and life transitions. And using career services, and we're just reflecting a little bit um, uh, the week after that show to talk about his uh, experiences here on Career Buzz. Um, and so, Angie, you and I both have been doing career counseling for quite some time. Uh, so, last couple of questions, let's let's both reflect on what do, What do you like about career counseling?
1: I think what I enjoy most is coming into meetings with uh, clients without with with a unique uh, you know put it this way they, they I can't I don't necessarily know all that they know and so I'm not, not making any assumptions going into a meeting so I'm interested to hear what they have to say and where they're uh, identifying needs and I just like the uh, uniqueness of that experience and every time it's a a reset so I start again and I'm learning from them and I'm bringing what I'm uh, experiencing and people in my network sometimes that makes a big difference for them to help open uh, a a new pathway to a conversation with uh, someone in a professional environment
0: yeah and I, I also enjoy that uniqueness every client brings a different perspective and a different story and both being able to meet new people and learn from them and, and then being able to be helpful. You know, I mean, many people know I shifted careers from engineering and consulting to career, career development. And, you know, I really like helping solve people problems more than business and technical problems. And, and I, we hear that a lot from clients, that they're looking to be helpful or do work that is in the helping professions in one way. Or another. So I I really like that. And you know, it's very practical. And and we didn't mention it, but career professionals also, of course, help with those nuts and bolts of the career um, and job search, right? So when it comes to resume help, uh, resume resume renovation, or LinkedIn makeovers, or um, winning at the interview and, and improving on job interview skills and negotiating job offers, and those are often elements of the career process and we of course do all of that and it's lovely when people land somewhere like John Hogan right when they after an experience and they do the exploration that we advise and then something really good happens and they feel they not only feel good about their situation but they're grateful for the process so do you remember Angie how was it when when John finally found that great role it was at CIBC at the time right
1: yeah absolutely he uh, well, he was just um, really ready to land, and uh, he was very, uh, very organized in his thinking and uh, appreciative all of all the beyond the books um, approach that we, we we took with him, and um, you know expanded our networks. Uh, all of this helped to uh, give him uh, another um, another good landing in. Uh, in his uh, very interesting learning and development uh, career path, he's he's offering uh, a lot of great skills now to the um, you know the the new graduates from university. I mean, how great is that to have such a practice leader?
0: Right on! Thanks, Angie, um, for not only for sharing this conversation with me about uh, the past uh, client there and, and some of your work, but also for you know working with us over these years and being such a a professional a career a great career career professional and working with all of these clients so thank you
1: thank you Mark. it was one of uh, the earlier clients that i started working with uh, chris cycles back in i think twenty twelve when i was told that i should be doing this this is the right career for me so
0: oh, the, yeah.
1: the client
0: offered the career <laughs> professional some career advice yes
1: yeah, so i it's. I've stayed, uh, stayed on that path.
0: <laughs> Great. Thank you. Okay. Thanks so much, Angie. Okay. All right. Bye now. You're listening to Career Buzz on CIUT 89.5 FM in Toronto and worldwide at CIUT.fm. Stories show that who you are matters. I'm your host, Mark Franklin, and before continuing with today's show... I want to let listeners know about the Career Buzz podcast episodes of Inspiring Career Stories. Go to CareerCycles.com and click podcast or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And please do leave us a review. Have a listen, for example, to the January 3rd show with global training and development leader John Hogan. Go to CareerCycles.com, click podcast or subscribe to Career Buzz on a podcast app. And did you know you can find Career Buzz on Facebook? We have links to past episodes, pictures, and more. Go to Facebook.com slash Career Buzz Show. Now, let's get back to today's episode. After being shot at, threatened at gunpoint, and rattled by having to catch drug runners, Robert High decided to change careers. He left the U.S. Coast Guard and began a new career chapter as a private yacht boat captain. As you hear Robert High's fascinating career story, you can take a tour of the 150-foot Cabernet yacht that he is the captain of. Go to YouTube and search... Cabernet Yacht, that's Cabernet like the wine, yacht, and it's the video from Denison Yachts. Here's my interview with Robert High. Welcome to uh, Career Buzz, Robert High. So glad to have you join
3: me today. Thanks, Mark, appreciate it. So what do you like about your job? i tell you, it's a great job, um, but people don't understand. They just say, oh, you drive the boat, and that's about 1% of my job. It's it's really kind of a being a CEO of a small Ritz Carlton, you know. It just it's a lot of hospitality, and I love serving people. It's just, nice. They're real appreciative, and, and uh, it's nothing like the TV show. So we're
0: on uh, we're on the ship here.
3: Um, so can you, we just can, call it a boat?
0: We call it the boat. We're on we're on the boat, a 150 foot boat, and uh, Robert, you're the, the captain. So what is, what is the job of a boat captain?
3: What, is, what are all the responsibilities? What is this job all about? So it's, it's a, a, you wear a lot of hats. So basically, I, again, I'm a CEO of a very small uh, hotel, high-end resort kind of thing. And on top of that, you have all the administrative that you'd normally have doing that. But then you have all the engineering and the human resources, uh, light legal work, again, accounting, um, and then, of course, the hospitality, um, you've got all the safety functions, uh, so uh, I'm licensed to, to do surgery in the middle of the ocean if necessary, usually under a doctor's care uh, via satellite. Um, but you've also got to be a, a killer uh, because there's piracy. Uh, there's 400-some cases a year that are uh, reported, and there's probably another 400 or 500 that go unreported. So you gotta be able to do all that. And so I've been through a lot of bodyguard school and, and uh, that, plus all my Coast Guard uh, training. So uh, a lot of, I've uh, been through uh, 12 firefighting schools, two of the best in the world, uh, Pearl Harbor and Treasure Island, uh, San Francisco. Um, so a lot of that, a uh, lot of lot of engineering. Really, and, and you need a license.
0: We know in, in Canada, we, we have a, an operator car to operate a pleasure
3: craft, but this is a 150-foot sure. boat. Yeah, sure. So by, what do you need? What kind of license do you need? It goes by tonnage. Uh, and uh, the, the smallest license uh, in America, at least, is called a six-pack because you can take up six passengers for hire. But the boat can only be so, uh, so long. And then the first step up from that would be a 100-ton license. So typically the the small yachts running around, if they have a professional captain, it's got a 100-ton license. And uh, what's driving that is the commerce part. And tons is not weight. ton is is the old TUN, which is a wine cask. And it would take up so much space. Right. And that's how they used to uh, taxation, was how many tons you could fit on your vessel. And so this boat boat happens to be... uh, 493 gross tons so if somebody had calculated you could get that many wine casks inside this boat and uh so 100 ton then a 200 ton then a 500 ton and mine is 1600 tons uh 3, european tons so that's what we're on how, with this boat so we're 493 and so i'm well within my my license Um, and it takes a long time. They want to see that you've got experience running smaller vessels before they're gonna give you, before you even sit for a test for a higher tonnage license than all the schools associated with that license level. So more tonnage, more people, more safety, uh, a lot more schooling. And uh, it took me, well I started uh, in 1985, I left the Coast Guard. Uh, and I got my first license then and uh, I got my 1,600 ton at the turn of the century. So there's gradations you have to climb climb up. They're looking for a lot of sea time. Gotcha. And then every five years you have to show sea time as well.
0: So that's kind of like pilots license they need to have so many hours. Correct. So uh, what's how much sea time do you do you need to get to that? You gotta have uh,
3: I think 720 days in the last or total and I think uh, 360 in the last five years. And just for listeners who
0: uh, aren't seeing this, paint a picture of, of this boat that we're on, uh, the well, Cabernet. Yeah,
3: so her name's Cabernet, I, I actually named it. Uh, the boss called me up and said, I want to change the name. I said, okay, what do you want to change it to? And he goes, I don't know. And he said, how about Cabernet? And he says, great. And I Googled it to make sure there wasn't any other Cabernets. Uh, but she's 150, uh, her hull is that Cabernet color. Uh, Cabernet looks, like the wine. Like the wine, yeah. sorry. Um, and the upper uh, superstructure, the house part, is a, uh, a cream colored. Uh, we call it oyster. And then the handrails, we have a, about 130 handrails throughout. Those are titanium nitrite, which is about five times more expensive than real gold. Uh, but you don't have to polish it. So I mean, you it doesn't can imagine corrode. Co- d- at yeah. all. And uh, so you can imagine the, the gold tint uh, offsetting the cream and the, the red. How many bathrooms in this boat? <laughs> <laughs> we we get that question a lot, and people sometimes don't believe us, but there are 13 bathrooms on this boat. It's quite a boat. We'll take a and people can look at it on YouTube. Yes, right? yes. Just uh, look up uh, yacht Cabernet on YouTube, and, and there's all kinds of walkthroughs and videos of her underway, and and uh, you'll see the whole inside. They'll, they walk through the engine room and everything. So it's it's really neat. And then Dennis and yachting is uh, I'm gonna mention them because they're the guys that did it all
0: my guest today is uh, robert High. he's a ship captain a boat captain professional boat captain and we're uh, speaking to you on career buzz here from south florida i'm your host mark franklin so um robert how, how how did you get here what are some of the key twists and turns in your story that brought you from i think you were starting boating as a kid to starting to do this kind of professional boat license experience or boat uh, captaining?
3: Well, I I can uh, frankly say that uh, my mom and my dad got me interested in the ocean when I was a baby. And uh, my dad worked for uh, Owens Corning Fiberglass up in Ohio. And and they had built a small sailboat uh, to show Sears, you know, that fiberglass is the future. And Owens Corning gave it to my dad. My dad gave it to me when I was six and taught me how to sail. And then we got bigger and bigger boats in the family and found out my dad wasn't very good at driving them. So mom said, just let Robert do it. You know, we can have a cocktail and listen to Frank Sinatra and let Rob drive. And I was doing that by the time I was 11. So at 11,
0: you were uh, booting around
3: in what kind of boats? We had a 37-foot houseboat up on Lake Erie. Is that legal? Are you allowed to be? Yes, it's it's private. uh, Yes, certainly back then. Back then. That was the early, early 70s.
0: So from the 11-year-old uh, booting around in these
3: 36, 37-foot boats to this, what, how, do you, how do you move up to, to this? Well, I, I went to Ohio State and I was on the sailing team there, but uh, that was not the, the, what, what was gonna get me to this goal of being a captain. And so I joined the Coast Guard in 1980 and I served my four years, got out in 85 because I'd been shot at in civilian clothes. I was doing a lot of drug interdiction in the early 80s. So yeah. that's like
0: when there was the war on drugs Big in the time. US. So where, where did all that happen? That
3: was I was out of Clearwater Beach, Florida at the time. But I had served uh, on a cutter as an engineer out of Kodiak, Alaska, of all places. Wow. Watching over those guys at the deadliest catch TV show and stuff, that kind of stuff.
0: And the drug running Florida to where? Where were the, uh, the just drugs all going? all over. They were
3: coming in from South America and coming up the west coast of Florida and they were dropping them in the, the, the boonies fishing boats would come out and meet shrimp boats, and they would offload, usually in the middle of the night. I, I was on the boarding team of the largest uh, bust of marijuana in the Gulf of Mexico by a small boat station. We got over 600, 100-pound bales off of one vessel. And uh, that was an interesting time. And you have to stop that boat and tell them to it, it, let you board? and Well, yeah. And uh, so we we had, uh, it, was, it, it was interesting. It was scary. Uh, we did a lot of training. But uh, these guys didn't speak English, and unfortunately, I had a Spanish-speaking uh, bosun mate on board the, the Coast Guard 41. And uh, we verified uh, uh, verbally on the radio that they had two persons on board. I put up two fingers, and, and they said, yes, two on board. And I said, okay, uh, you guys go on the back of your shrimp boat and sit down, keep your hands in front of you, and we'll be boarding. And so uh, four of us boarded. Uh, I, have a, have a, I was carrying a 12-gauge shotgun. My roommate had an M16, and the other two guys were carrying 45s, and we had a machine gun on the 41 uh, aimed at them. And, and we knew that they had marijuana on board. Uh, we had intel for that one. And anyway, uh, so we get on board, and I'm watching the port side uh, up, the, up the side of the vessel. My roommate's watching the starboard side, and the, the other two guys are, are interviewing the two guys sitting down and we got them in handcuffs now and stuff and all of a sudden a third guy shows up out of the, Uh-oh. on the other side. And my roommate runs up with an M16 screaming at him cause it scared him and he didn't want to obviously kill anybody. You know, pushed him to the ground and, and so we got him in handcuffs and wanted to know why they lied about it. But that was some of the crazy stuff. But I've also done some good stuff over, uh, over there. Um, I've saved two little girls from drowning. And I pulled two other guys that had been run over by boats that were bleeding to death and saved them.
0: Run over by boats? Yeah. Like got injured
3: by a propeller? Yeah. Nose to toes.
0: Ouch. So lots of uh, excitement lots of as a Coast Guard. Uh, what was your role there? What was it called? I was an
3: MK3, uh, but I was also a coxswain. so I ran 41s and, and our other small boats out of Clearwater. And then what happened after, mm-hmm. uh, after the Coast Guard? So, so I, well i left the Coast Guard because I'd been you know, shot at uh, from car to car uh, in civilian clothes, and I, I wasn't carrying a weapon or anything. So I thought, well, you know, it's getting pretty dangerous. I did my four years, I did some good, taught some people some good stuff, and i had saved Dollar rent boat from sinking and heard they were looking for a captain. So that was my jump in 1985. And that got me over, and I've been captain for them uh, I was captain for the owner of 7-Eleven, and I've worked for five billionaires. And that's five say, billionaires. They've, they've been wonderful. I mean, the, the, the richer they are, the nicer they are. The, the, the more they don't micromanage, they just expect me to be a pro, and, uh, and and let me shine, you know, let my crew shine. And that's what we're really proud of, is, is when the owner walks off the, the, the gangway after a trip, and he turns around and shakes my hand or she, I've worked for a female, a Brit, um, you can see it in their eye that they had a good time. They're proud of their crew. Uh, we showed their guests and their business partners and all that uh, good time. And and so that's the real joy in it, too.
0: My guest today is uh, Robert High. He's a professional ship captain. We're speaking to you from South Florida, where we're on the Cabernet 150-foot boat. I'm your host, Mark Franklin, here on Career Buzz. Um, so, so what's that like, Robert? Like You, you talk about working for... Billionaires. I mean, this is uh, a real operation. Yes. And, you know, like how often, for instance, might this boat get used by the owner versus your need to be here and to be running the show 365 days a year? How does That's that work? That's a great work?
3: question. And the answer to that is there is no answer to that. Every <laughs> owner has different wants and needs. Uh, one wants to use it for business. One wants for pleasure. One Somebody wants to charter. Uh, they just want to, you know have their golfing buddies over. So they're all different. Uh, some want to fish, some want a scuba dive, some want to just bounce from town to town and, and you know see the sights. Some of them just want to sit on, on a uh, anchor. We sitting on the hook. And, cause they like the peace and quiet. So they're all different and we just gotta be flexible. And so this one, what is the, uh, who's the owner? What this, do they want to, the, uh, out of this? This guy is, uh, uh, we've done it all. Uh, he's a really great guy from Pennsylvania. His name is uh, Brian Gentry. Uh, and he's in the compressed gas business, and uh, he used to charter boats, and decided he was going to own them. And uh, so we've cruised up and down the Americas, uh, down the Bahamas. He likes going to some of the sandbars down there. Uh, right before COVID, we were down in uh, the BBI because he had donated- British Virgin Islands. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and he had donated the boat to charity for school children uh, and uh, at, a, at a wine auction in Naples. And uh, uh, they raised uh, almost a million dollars. And so I, it was my job to, is to get the boat down there and get it ready and entertain three groups of eight people for a week, all inclusive, whatever they wanted to do, we were gonna do it. And, and they just had a blast. And then Mr. Gentry flew down with his family and and uh, we spoiled them for a week. And thats it's just fun having them around. It kind of breaks up the monotony of of the day-to-day, which is tons and tons of maintenance and then pro some admin in the middle.
0: So, so for the last few years, I mean, it's COVID, so that's not normal time, but what sort of percent of the time is the ship in use versus it's uh, kind it's of very waiting?
3: We are, we are for sale, seriously for sale. Um, and so we... Keep the boat prepped for showing. Um, I in fact, I haven't seen the the, the boss for several months now. I've talked to him a couple times on the phone, but uh, uh, we are here to show the vessel uh, to potential buyers and keep it here in South Florida. Yes, yes, this this is the place to go. Capital of the world.
0: Right on. So, um, what's the price tag, Robert? We're asking eight, eight million. All right, listeners. There you go. Um, go on to YouTube, right? Look up Cabernet, just Cabernet. Um, Yacht Cabernet. Or Yacht Cabernet, and uh, see what you can get for eight million. This is a spectacular, spectacular boat. So that's that's amazing. So what what what's next for you, Robert? If uh, if this gets sold. And um, will you stick with the boat because now you know it, you're intimate with and it? And that what, is what's very useful
3: to, the new, to a new buyer is that uh, uh, oftentimes at this level of this size vessel is they may probably don't have a professional captain already working for them. And if they do, they don't have the license to run this. So uh, uh, we've had several people um, look at the vessel and they, they all said, well, you know, we want to make sure that you're going to go with the vessel, and of course I will. Because uh, like you said, I know the boat, and uh, that makes engineering so much
2: easier.
0: The, uh, the prospect of moving around a lot must make it tricky to have a kind of normal life. It is. So, do you, you know, h- how did that work for you, your personal life? How did that intersect with this, this interesting profession that you've got?
3: Again, great question. Um, it is not the life for everyone. I just love the ocean and boating that much. But uh, it's difficult to have a uh, love life if, if your wife is not already on board, uh, because you do move. And uh, you know, you can't have pets, you can't have, uh, there are guys that have apartments and houses, but it's difficult because you gotta really stay focused on the vessel, it's that much maintenance. A lot of people ask me, oh, this is this a full-time job? And it's absolutely a full-time plus. When, they, when we have guests on board, we're working 15, 16 hours a day, easy, sometimes more, every once while a little less, uh, but it's only for like a seven day job, usually. It's, and then it's between jaunts, then how many hours a day is it when you're between it's, things? We do 40 hours a week unless it's, uh, it's something's odd, you know.
0: And just to give uh, listeners a picture here, you're not the only one working on this ship. So what is the crew?
3: When we're fully operational, we're running with nine. So uh, we'll have three stewardesses, a chef, Uh, we'll have a chief engineer, myself, a first officer, and uh, deckhands to fill it out. Wow. And so what are they doing when you're not operational? If the boat's clean, we're not operational. Uh, maintenance it's it's waxing it's kind of like you know how, how they paint the, the Golden Gate bridge they start at one end and go to the other and then they paint it over again well we do the same thing with waxing so they start from one end go to the other end at, uh, top and bottom uh, but there's so much other stuff I mean we have scuba divers that are supposed to be here today to clean the bottom of the boat uh, that has to be done every month uh, just the maintenance on the engines uh, and and the repairs take quite a bit of, of action so that engineers are, are busy
0: so the team is still working 40 hour weeks even while the boat sitting here it, yes tied absolutely. up to the
3: dock there's just it, it's on and on and on it's you know boat used to stand for bring on another thousand and now it's bring on another ten thousand <laughs> because they're always breaking and it's not this vessel I love this boat it's a sensation 150 and she's built quite well but uh, they still take a lot of maintenance
0: Uh, And just to finish, the last thought on the personal life and the interaction, mm -hmm. right? Did you... so?
3: Yeah, so you're you're, moving around. Uh, So have
0: you been able to have family, kids? No. I've never been
3: married. I don't have any kids. I girlfriends here and there. Uh, I did get to when I was a ship captain. I did get a lot of time off and we all worked out of New Orleans because I was in the oil industry. And so I did have a girlfriend who had a horse farm. And and so I was home uh, once a month for 14 days and then back to sea for 28 days. Mm Uh, but she understood. Thank you! (laughs) So
0: that was somebody... That was somebody... admiring the boat from a parking garage, (laughs) who just looked out and and was just shouting about how much they like the boat. (laughs) We are on a
3: lot of video and photos. Uh, Just people see the the, the red hull and and then see the name, and just people take a lot of pictures of Cabernet.
0: Um, if somebody were interested in becoming a ship captain, right, and it's interesting, we're going to have listeners who are curious about that, what what advice would you have for them to get started or to find out like the next step after, let's say they already have that operator card, you know, they know a little bit about boating, but they're interested in this career?
3: I would say, that, yeah, yeah, it sounds like they are agreeing that they've already got the, the, the sea in their blood because you got to, because you're giving up so much personal stuff that you you got to have the want Uh, but the from that personal from that card you're talking about the operators card uh, anything any learning experience to the US Coast Guard auxiliary or the power squadron is fantastic Uh, and going to work for somebody that that needs a deck hand you know maybe on a, a small commercial vessel in your town or or anything like that or, or come down to Fort Lauderdale and, and do day work and, and get your foot in the door that way. Is this the place to come? It is. Fort it Lauderdale, is the Lauderdale un- if you capital world and that is, it is definitely the place to come.
0: Is there like a website for deckhand opportunities like
3: you know a job board for there this is. kind of thing? There it is. It's called daywork123.com Daywork dot 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 com. It and there's all kinds of jobs on there. Now the minimum for uh, on these uh, larger vessels uh is the crew has to have STCW-95, and that's standards for training certification and watch keeping. And the minimum is a one-week course for a 1000 bucks. You go through firefighting, first aid, and safety of life at sea. Like, they put you in a pool with a bunch of people, and, and they have you uh, inflate and and flip life rafts and, and do swims together like if you were offshore in a sinking vessel kind of thing. So all kinds of of... That's the bare minimum.
0: Is that an international thing, that, that STC? Is. Everybody, so if you were in Canada, where would you find
3: that course? Do you know? or if the, uh, Yeah, Google. it, yeah. I, I use Marine Professional Training. It's the, marine I think professional the finest, Training, and it's in Fort Lauderdale, MPT. And uh, they have a website, and I'm sure if you called them, they, they would be more than happy to give you some guidance uh, on how to proceed forward.
0: And then you can get that. STC certification yep. then you get to be on you could be a deckhand or do any you of could. those roles and from there you can start getting licensed is Certainly. there a licensing body
3: like a college of uh, you in know, the that, United States is yeah. the US Coast Guard but yeah. uh, internationally each flag each country has their own um, and so you could go to school at, at those countries and they're all signatories to the IMO the International Maritime Organization which kind of sets the standards for the rules and and uh, so, STCW—that's why they call it STCW. It's the standard for training, certification, watchkeeping, no matter where in the world. Is it typical that a college program would
0: offer some of that training, they or might. do you really need to do it kind of hands-on? They might. Hands-on? Meaning,
3: there's there's a couple, of, uh, there's several colleges in the United States that are dedicated to maritime, uh, and I can't recall all of them at the moment. But uh, you get a degree in in marine transportation. And you get the knowledge to then, once you graduate, to go out and, and uh, get a license similar to mine.
0: Marine marine transportation. So, if listeners are interested, probably in coastal cities, I colleges have it. New York's got
3: SUNY. Uh, Texas has got uh, down in Galveston, uh, Texas A and M, Galveston, and uh, I think there's a couple in New York, actually.
0: We'll check for Canada. Likely in Halifax, oh, sure. Nova Scotia, and Vancouver. We would find would some of the similar things.
3: things. So. Definitely for the Great Lakes. Uh, and so just you're taking courses, uh, hopefully you live close by of one of these schools, like I, Fort Lauderdale, again, is a great place. They have crew houses, too, for you to live in. It's a little, little less expensive than a, than a hotel while you're taking these classes. But uh, you know, there tend to be one or two week classes, uh, and you build up those, uh, and these, these schools will tell you what, what classes you need to take. Whether it's meteorology or uh, stability.
0: Do you, do you need those courses even if you have, like, the, you said chef and there's like stewardess, stewards, stewards? You do not they have to
3: have STCW because my team all are capable of, of fighting fire. Right. That's so you need important that to be first aid.
0: But if somebody's listening and thinking, ah, oh, it'd be nice to spend a few years on a private yacht, you could do that if you had this if certification. You went
3: to that, that class. All right.
0: And key question people always say, you got to ask about the money. So, Robert. How much money can you make doing this?
3: Well, it, it depends on which position you're in, but there are guys that are making. Uh, they they start off at about uh, um, about three thousand a month, and of course you're living on board. Your food's all free. Uh, food and rent is free, so you're not paying rent, yep. for any of that. Uh, we uh, the, the owner pays for television, and Wi-Fi, and you're not paying for anything. So that would be the the, the start. And then, when you get up to my level, uh, a true guy at my level is making about $1,000 a foot. So, 150 foot is 150,000. And that's an approximation. Good to know.
0: People are always interested in that. How long did it take you to break, let's say, 100000 know, um, what, what age were you at when I that was happened?
3: Right about 35 when I broke the 100000
0: Fascinating story, Robert. Hi, thanks for telling us all about this. So last question. So you've had your interesting career and story that you've shared with us here on Career Buzz. What, what have you learned about making good choices in career and
3: life that you might share with listeners? Well, those are really important. I mean, you gotta stay on the straight and narrow, uh, focused, uh, of course, no drugs. And I do drug testing on my crew. Uh, you gotta watch alcoholism in the yawning. And so I'm very careful about that. In fact, I've got a couple of non-alcohol guys on board, which is great. Um, and of course, when we're underway, there's no alcohol. Uh, making good decisions is a day-to-day affair. Uh, people that, that I work for look at that. They look at my resume. Uh, they check my references. Uh, and if you're making bad decisions, you're not going to make it. It, it. just You're not going to make it to this level. Uh, these guys are serious people that I work for, and uh, uh, they will do background checks on you and, and uh, see if you have any record. Fortunately, I was in law enforcement, and I've kept my nose clean.
0: Great. Robert, hi. Thanks so much for joining us here on Career Buzz.
3: It was my pleasure. It's nice meeting you, Mark.
0: You've been listening to Career Buzz. Stories show that who you are... Matters. I'm your host, Mark Franklin. You can find out more about me and career counseling, professional career counseling at careercycles.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email me. It's Mark with a K at careercycles.com. Thanks to my guests today, Robert High, Angie Bjornson, and John Hogan. Technical production today was by Lucy Welsh. Subscribe to Career Buzz on your favorite podcast app. Find it at the podcast link at careercycles.com. Catch Career Buzz every Wednesday at 11 a.m. on CIUT. And that is it for today's episode of Career Buzz. Thank you for listening.